0: Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax
1: planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build
0: long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show.
1: All right, guys, you are listening to Tax Tuesday, where we bring tax knowledge to the masses. My name is Toby Mathis. And I'm Jeff Webb. And uh, we're going to have fun today going over a bunch of questions. I was just looking through them, if you couldn't tell that you weren't on a title screen when you (laughs) came in. But I just like to do things like that. All right, so let's go over rules, because we've got a lot of stuff to go over. We have a State of the Union tonight. This is going to be really exciting. I probably shouldn't bring up any politics at all, because we'll have it the, the the chat will explode. Hey, let me know where you're from right now as you come in here. Just tell me the city and state if you're willing to. Jeff and I like to see where everybody's coming from. Let me see if I can see how many people are on. Oh, look at that. So Vegas, or Vegas, geez, you're in my backyard. Coeur uh, Anchorage, Austin, Minnesota, California, Redwood. They're just flying through. Oops, Chicago, Miami, I love Miami. Irving, Sandy, Utah, San Jose, Boise for real life, the military, Boise for real life, Grambling, fantastic, Augusta, home of the 280A deduction, uh, White Plains, New York, Pembroke Pines, Pembroke Pines, Florida, Oregon, Atlanta, Bordentown, New Jersey, Charles Car- Car- Carson, Carson, yeah, Carson, California, South Lake Tahoe, Joan Schomburg. What up, Joan? I haven't seen you forever. That would be uh, Doug's wife. Oh, okay. Dougie Doug, who's been with Hi, us forever. I know, Joan. So we have uh, about 400 people here, 450 of us. But uh, Doug's been with us since practically day one, 1999. All right. Minneapolis, Minnesota, the land of 10,000 swamps. Don't candy coat it, Greg. Tell us how you feel. Chico, Saratoga Springs. Uh Pete, you already got a bunch of these others. So we got people from all over the country. So Toby looks like I will be in Vegas in October. You better be in town. I'll be in town in October, I'm sure of it. We can go to the last time Sherry, you were here, I think we went to Batista's hole in the wall. You ever been to Batista's? I have not been to Batista's. It's a lot of pasta and a lot of wine. All right. no Is
0: Sherry nicer to you in person than? Sherry's always nice to me.
1: So she harasses the heck out of me on chat. No, they're good people. I actually took a, we ran in motorcycles once all over (laughs) town. Went out to, uh, what was it? We went out to Valley of Fire on the bikes, Red Rock. Yeah, there we go. Tried not to get hit by things. Vegas, it's like, you're taking your life in your own hands when you get on a motorcycle out here. But anyway, they were much better than me. I was driving, what was it? An 08. A street buff and they go cruising on the freeways. And I feel oh, okay. like I'm, I feel like I'm going under every semi cause I, I don't have a fairing or anything to block. <laughs> it's like, they're just zipping through and I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to end up being somebody's bump in their tread. All right. Salt Lake city. we got a whole bunch of people from everywhere. Hey, uh, this is going to be fun today. We're going to go over a whole bunch of questions. You can feel free to to put stuff in chat, but more importantly, if you have questions, that are on your specific situation. I have Dana, Troy, Elliot, Dutch, Ian, Pio. I mean, I can't believe we have this many people on around, uh, uh, like we're two weeks away from a major deadline. Uh, Christos, Matthew, Ander, and Patty. Like, Is that like 10 people? We've got like 10 people on to answer questions. Not all of them were accountants. We've got some tax attorneys, got a bunch of accountants in there, got the head of our bookkeeping department. So if you have questions, today is the day to ask them. So if you have some stuff out there that's burning question, get in there. I see Ian uh, typing right now, Christos, they're already bumping through questions. So we're not going to send you an invoice. Everybody says, why do you do this? Right? Because we're weird. Yes. Uh, if you have other questions during the week, uh, whatever, just send it in via Tax Tuesday to Anderson Advisors. Here's what we do. If you ask a general question, we'll answer. If you ask very specific questions, then we'll just make sure you're a client first. And it could just be as simple as being a platinum client. It's 35 bucks a month. And our guys will, will get back to you and answer. Yeah, we are that free with, our, with, with stuff. We, we figure it's hard enough. A lot of people play hide the ball. I and mean, that's frankly how accountants and attorneys have made their living over the years, but we don't do that. It's not as much fun. All right, opening questions. I bought a property in Georgia in 2021 doing renovations and repairs, planning to rent it out in March, 2022. Because I didn't collect rents in 2021, I can't claim this property on my 2021 tax return, correct? Can I deduct the expenses I had for renovations in 2021 in my next year's tax return, question mark, uh, 2022? So we'll answer that. Is YouTube income considered passive or active? Question mark. Great question. A lot of people are making money on YouTube. I'm going to pimp my uh, YouTube channel. I'm going to give you a link at some point and say, please subscribe because I'm behind Clint and he's got way more than I do. I manage properties for a relative as an employee of a C Corp. During a banking transaction, I personally received the rents through Zell in 2021, start of 2022. Those rents were then redeposited into the property owner's personal bank account. Will I have a problem with my 2021 tax return? Do I need to issue a 1099 to the property owner for 2022? We'll go over that. 1099s are always funky. So did he say, do I need, I don't think he said he got a 10.99. So we'll, we'll go over that one here in a little bit. I've been filing my taxes on Schedule C and all of my business income is loan interest from private lending. Schedule C is sole proprietorship, right? Mm-hmm. My first year, 2020 was a net loss. This year, 2021, and hopefully all future years, I'll have a significant profit. If I continue to report the interest income as gross receipts or other income on Schedule C, I'm assuming I have to pay SE taxes on the profit. I'm thinking maybe I should report the interest on my Schedule B and my expenses on Schedule C. What are your thoughts? Should I be paying SE tax on interest income? Can you elaborate on revocable versus irrevocable trust from a tax standpoint? How can I actively participate in my short-term rental while maintaining a W-2 job? Great questions, great questions so far. All right, if I use a property management company for short-term rentals, short-term rentals is just Airbnb, guys somewhat practical due to distance from the property. Does this automatically exclude me from demonstrating material participation? Or are there other test activities that could demonstrate material participation beyond a property management company assisting? Question mark. Good question. My husband receives guaranteed payments shown on a K-1 as a limited domestic partner of an LLC. That's odd, but we'll go over that. He is taxed as a sole proprietor. To lower taxes, can he create an escort for his guaranteed payments and still be a limited domestic partner of that LLC? Again, really good questions. We've been seeing, like we're getting hammered now with questions. We're probably getting 500 a week, but we're seeing like the types of questions you guys are asking is versus years ago when we mm-hmm. started this few years, five, six, seven, whatever the years ago it was that we started doing tax Tuesdays. It's pretty amazing. We hear residential home ex- exception is 250 for single. If I buy three houses this year, stay in the first house two years, two years, stay in the second house two years and live in the third house two years on the fifth years after buying first house, sell it and use the 250 exemption on the fifth year after buying second house, sell second house and take 250 on fifth year after third house, take 250 residential home exemption, assuming profit of 250 each house on sale. Would this work? Really good question. We're going to have to map that one out, right? Might have to write it out. My, my company is based in the US. We have a customer from Thailand. My supplier are from Honduras. I have an American account. I would like to know how to pay my supplier. Do I withhold taxes? They are not residents or citizens of the USA. Really good question and not asked enough, right? So that you, those of you guys are out there. And then last question, it sits on its own. I am learning or I'm looking to learn about small landlord exemption which allows small landlords to deduct real estate losses from their W-2 income. I'm trying to figure out if I qualify for that. We will make sure that you understand the rules. All right. So we are going to get started. Before we do that, by all means, jump on and subscribe for the YouTube. If you like Tax Tuesdays, if you like getting, like I'm probably putting out two to three videos a week now on my YouTube channel. A lot of it is like you could actually see some of this stuff here depending on the topic obviously some people like it some people don't but there's a lot of them that like w- really easy questions that you can just go google in there and uh and find out uh, whether we've asked it if somebody's asked it before and we answer it and then you can always put in things that you want us to do videos on so we love doing it i like doing it and i'm trying to build up the youtube thing i don't know why it's like we just Clint was way ahead of me on that one i used to have a channel it was another other company we merged it into To his and then he kind of was doing his own thing and i said uh you know we'll make a second one not realizing how far ahead he was (laughs) and then he likes to remind me he's like hey i have like twice as many people as you
0: so i have a good sense of why you're producing more videos (laughs) hey
1: like it's we've been partners for a long time we're slightly competitive but he does a great job on youtube and i said hey i'll come join you so you guys got to help me please Help me. All right. I bought a property in Georgia in 2021, doing renovations and repairs, planning to rent it out in March of 22 because I didn't collect rents in 2021. 2021. I can't claim this property on my 2021 tax return, correct? Can I deduct expenses I had for renovations in 2021 in my next year's tax return, which would be the 2022? Good question. Jeff, what are you thinking?
0: So yeah, you're you're correct that you cannot claim those deductions in 2021.
1: Do they uh, do they just disappear?
0: No, they don't disappear. Uh, they actually, what happens is the majority of those renovation and repair expenses are going to go into the basis of your property. So you will get to depreciate them if you do a cost segregation. I'm sure this will come up again that you'll you'll be able to possibly carve out some of these deductions. Mm -hmm.
1: And is that called placed in service? Is that what they refer to? Yes.
0: Placed in service means it's available for rent.
1: So it would become placed in service in March of 2022. Mm -hmm. So everything they've spent up to that point is just going to land on 2022?
0: Yeah. There's a a possibility that there are some true repairs in there. uh, And you'll be able to write those off in 2022.
1: Uh, how about 2021?
0: 2021. No,
1: what about property taxes?
0: No, you're not. You, you're basically can't write off anything,
1: it's just considered personal property. I think they would get the taxes, wouldn't they? Insurance, things like they that. They
0: could technically write off the taxes on their Schedule A, which is probably not going to do them any time.
1: okay. So that's considered personal because it's not invested yet, right. so it's gonna be, yeah, so right. it's it's basically personal property. Otherwise, you lump it all. Into 2022.
0: Yes, and the whole thing is it's not considered rental property because it's not available to rent.
1: So if they had purchased it in 2021, this is a planning mm-hmm. tip. So 2021, and they had just rented it out a few times. What if they just made it a short-term rental?
0: They could have done that, and we've had clients do that where they started off as a short-term rental and then converted to long-term rental.
1: They put it into service, make sure it's an investment property, then fix it up and put it back in a rental mm-hmm. property. Can I depreciate all the way going back to day one?
0: You can put it as soon as you well, as soon was available. Yeah. rent short term. Yeah, you so, so it
1: makes sense, guys, that when you're buying properties that you're going to do a rehab on, you might want to buy properties that are already rented that are getting close to the expiration of their lease, or put it into a rental pool for a period of time to get it uh, to make sure it's into in service. Even if it's just, hey, I'm just going to put it out there for a year, and I know I'm not. I'm going to have to fix it up because you get such a better deduction. That's only if you have a tax appetite. If you don't have any passive income and all and you're not a real estate professional, you don't qualify as an active participant, then it's a no harm, no foul. Yeah.
0: So what do you think about and we we've had this come up that as we said, we start out, we run it short, mm-hmm. short term rentals, Airbnb as such. I go ahead and do that cost of segregation while it is a short term rental.
1: So first off, I love that. So what Jeff is saying is, let's say you bought it in 2021, towards the end of the year, you rented it for an average use of seven days or less, that's considered ordinary loss. If you are the one handling the rentals, uh, and I say rentals, the Airbnb, the short-term rental, and you're materially participating, those losses actually become active or non-passive and offset all your other income. So it can offset your W-2 because it's not rental. Uh, just be clear, seven days or less is not rental activity. It's You're basically a hotel. It's a business. Mm -hmm. So you could do a cost seg, which is breaking down that property. It's a much smaller basis. And then when you improve it the following year, you can do the exact same thing with that because you're going to have the invoices. It's really easy to say, hey, this this is all stuff that we added in. You could tell which property is which.
0: Yeah, especially when you're considering something like a kitchen or bathroom tear out, a lot of it you're gonna be able to deduct as bonus depreciation.
1: And so you could get a nice big fat loss if you do that. If you keep it as a long-term rental, and again, if you create a loss, it may not be used by you. You may have passive loss, which cannot be used against anything other than passive Mm -hmm. income. So unless I have a whole bunch of other rents, I'm just going to have a loss that I'm carrying forward. So it doesn't really do me any good. Or maybe I'm in a lower income and I don't really want the loss. You know, I'm like looking at it going, I'm I'm making $75,000 a year. Do I really want a you know, $30,000 loss? No, maybe not. You know, I'm in a low enough tax bracket where it's not hurt me. And I plan on making more. So I Mm -hmm. might save it. But those are your choices. That's the whole thing with tax planning is you're making the, which way should I go? But just going with your eyes open. But the calling of this question is really, hey, can I even, what can I do? I don't get to claim the property. Technically, you can claim some things on your personal return, but probably the better route is just to add everything to basis and and do it on 2022. Yeah. Wow. This is the shortest question I think I've ever pulled out of there. Is YouTube income considered passive or active?
0: It depends on whether you are passively or actively participating <laughs> uh and what we're talking about is material participation and, and i'll give you the easy test there's actually test two is substantially all of the activity is performed by
1: me so my youtube channel for example yeah. that's going to be active forever yeah because i'm producing it all i'm videoing and blah 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 or we have a whole bunch of other people on there so it's not just me but i'm involved i'm materially participating now let's say it's somebody let's say that I uh, wonder how I do it. How could I not participate? Maybe if I'm a silent owner in a business and that income's coming in and flowing through to me. So maybe you're in a partnership or an S corp and you're not materially participating. You just were the money person mm-hmm. and you have a YouTube channel for your business and incomes flowing through. That would be passive because you're not a materially material participant.
0: And I guess you could be the pretty face and somebody else is actually doing all the research and the work for what and they're just handing you what to read on the screen.
1: Yeah. And I always look at this because kind of the, this is one of those weird areas where I tend to look at royalty income
0: mm-hmm.
1: it is it's portfolio income. And you're looking at it saying it's not it's never subject to self-employment tax, just the royalty, unless I'm the creator. I guess I sometimes I don't put that caveat on there unless I'm the one who's doing something. So like if I write a book and I'm getting a royalty stream, mm-hmm. I'm that's going to be active income, right? Right. If I create some code or something and somebody uses it down the road and they have to pay me a royalty for it, in that case, it's probably passive, right? Like yeah. if, like if somebody's using my, my patents or something, then I imagine I'm going to get something different. Or if I buy uh, uh, an asset that has royalties, like I buy a, a music library, wouldn't that be passive? Or not know, passive, it's... but portfolio.
0: Yeah. And, and, yeah. and one of the things you, you need to consider, this kind of goes back to the other question about... Um, do I want my income to be active or passive? Mm-hmm. If I have rental properties are showing losses, then I want some passive income.
1: Yep. So I may want, but but this isn't passive Its portfolio wouldn't be passive. If it's I'm in a business that I'm not participating well, am
0: yeah, referring back to the YouTube.
1: Yeah. 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 But I mean, even if it's, if I buy a um, music catalog and it's producing portfolio income, that's interest income. That's not technically passive. If I am, an investor in a business with you as a partner, but I don't do anything right. and it's kicking me income or losses. That would be passive. It's kind of weird, right? Are you guys seeing how it's it, it, the, the waters always get a little bit muddy? That's why you want someone that's kind of navigating. And sometimes it's a facts and circumstances you're just looking at. What did you do? What was your involvement in this thing?
0: And that is actually the last test on the material participation test, facts and circumstances. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Jeff likes to be CPA, and he likes it. It is the it is the material participation is facts and that's that's test number seven, right? So there's yeah, we'll uh, go with that. Yeah, there's like seven different things. I always I, I never get past the first three. I'm always like, and then there's a whole bunch of crazy ones. But facts and circumstances is the last one for material participation. Yep. Um, the other thing you could do, and you're going to see this pop up in a lot of things, is it's not so much as it passive or active. It's whether it's going to be uh, subject to self employment tax. So, you know, active uh, involvement materially participation material participation is going to subject you to tax under old age disability and survivors of medicare which is going to hit you at about 15.3%. It phases out at $147,000 ish. I think it's 477 or something this year. Portion of it is, but you have you get hit with this extra tax which is not insubstantial. It's a pretty big hit, right? The way to avoid it, if you're doing YouTube or anything where you have um, income that is borderline, is it active, is it just regular ordinary, is put it through a, uh, an S-corp. Make sure that you have an LLC taxed as an S-corp or just an S-corp. And then if you're making that money, you can take a small salary for whatever it is you're doing. Because you might say, hey, I barely did anything. I did a couple YouTube videos. It took me all of 10 minutes and I got this great response and I have this big following and I'm making good money, monetizing it, just letting YouTube run ads on it. Why do I have to pay this extra tax? And, you know, this is the easy way you say, Hey, uh, you worked three hours. I'll pay you 200 bucks an hour. So I'll pay you 600 bucks. And the rest of it don't, you know, there's no self-employment tax, no FICA, no social security, whatever you want to call it. Um,
0: Yeah. We're seeing gamers making millions of dollars just sitting there playing their games, but bringing money in from advertising from their followers. Yep. Uh, And you don't want to pay any more tax on that than you have
1: to. We have some folks that uh, 3 million a year plus uh, doing marketing, advertising, doing clicks, they create funnels and they really don't do anything. It's not even their product. It's just, they're getting paid for having built the funnels. And they're always like, but I don't do anything. I'm like, I know you don't do anything except you're you're smart. You've figured out how to build these funnels. Now you're just sitting back, letting the money come in. But that's another way you can turn that into, into something that's not subject to self-employment tax. Usually in that case, if you have if you have millions, we're dealing with different types of vehicles. You're going to be using a C-Corp, a foundation more than likely, probably defined benefit plan, probably a 401k. You're using other tools that are in the toolbox, maybe a conservation easement, depending on what type of activity you're in. You might even be doing a captive insurance. You're going to be doing some other things, but um, it always comes back to ground. Like to this thing is like, hey, do I want to get hit over the head with an extra tax on that first chunk of money I'm making? It, no, let's see if we can avoid it. it usually saves, an S Corp will usually save you somewhere in the $10,000 a year range if you're making a hundred grand net. So it's a pretty potent tool if you know how to use it right. All right, I manage properties for a relative as an employee of a C Corp. Cool, so you guys are doing it right. During a banking transaction, or transition. I, I keep saying that wrong. During a banking transition, I personally received the rents through Zelle in 2021, the start of 2022. So you got paid, somebody paid you instead of the c court. Those rents were then redeposited in the property owner's personal bank account. Well, I have a problem with my 2021 tax return. Do I need to issue a 1099 to the property owner for 2022?
0: Jeff let me get on my account and soapbox mm-hmm. first off never accept payments in your personal name that belong to somebody else mm-hmm. never ever i f- completely trust that you did the right thing put it where they're supposed to be but it's it's the whole perception fight but dude. they
1: zelled you they threw it right in your account what are you supposed to do
0: uh give them the correct information after the first time they do that
1: <laughs> yeah okay so they did it once
0: no they did it for 21 and 22
1: uh i personally received the rents oh so maybe they did it more than once yeah i, th- I thought it was once
0: okay anyway will this good, cause a good. problem on your tax returns and something you said when you were first reading the questions was did you receive a 1099 from zell
1: that's what i was looking at because zell's now reporting because all zell pay paypal and all the all the platforms are now doing it uh, issuing 1099s
0: So you're not going to have a problem. But if you did receive a 1099 for this money, I would issue a 1099 to Mm -hmm. back to whoever the money was paid to. Yeah.
1: So two ways, two ways to deal with Venmo. Yes. Somebody's asking about Venmo. Zelle, Venmo, GoFundMe. If you received money, everybody thinks it's charitable. Yay. It's like, no, it's not a charity. (laughs) GoFundMe is not a charity you still uh you're gonna get hit you're way over there I'm gonna move over next to you I keep seeing myself go off the edge all right I'm gonna be right here
0: <laughs>
1: me and Jeff right there all right so uh unwanted touchings right don't hey we're not going there all right so I have a problem um HR t- yeah. <laughs> speed tile nowadays all right I have a problem with my 2021 so it depends on whether you got the 10.99. If you did not get a 1099, no issue, right? You just say, mm-hmm. hey, as long as the, re- the employer or your C Corp is collecting the information and saying and reporting it, they are required to report it whether they get a 1099 or not. Right. If you did get a 1099, then you have two choices. You call up the Zell and say, hey, you need to switch the information on the 1099. And if they won't do it, chances are you're doing a Schedule C showing the income with the corresponding deduction. Yep. For the exact same amount. So you're zeroing out a, C cor- or, uh, a schedule C and paying it over to the owner.
0: Now, a little note on these Zelle and uh, PayPal's and Venmo's and all these. It's only supposed to be for business transactions. And what you are primarily looking at is whether or not you have a business account. Mm-hmm. If it's money you just transfer back and forth, like I had uh, was doing transfers with my sister, mm-hmm. uh, then they're not going to 1099 for that kind of thing. I think, yeah, you're, you're based on what type of account I have. Correct.
1: But, but gosh, I, I, you know what? I wouldn't be betting against them doing weird stuff. Right? At the end of the day, you have choices and how you want to deal with it.
0: But don't sweat it.
1: Somebody says, Troy Zell isn't doing the 1099 thing. FYI, since direct transfer from the bank, Venmo and PayPal, yes, though. Uh, oh, so, so there's okay. You guys are getting me. So, Zell apparently is not subject. I thought Zell was.
0: I had heard that they were not going to do that, which kind of surprises me. Eh,
1: so, maybe they do. Maybe they, they said it's direct transfer from a bank.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, but banks, you're going the between, banks run Zell.
1: Yeah, but it's it's still me paying something to somebody. Well, we'll see. I have a feeling that they'll end up reporting someday. Maybe they won't, but you still have to, re, like, hey, no 1099 easy. Get 1099 might have issue. If you do get a 1099 ever mistakenly, or you're supposed to get paid 10,000 and they put hundred thousand on the 1099. Do not just say they screwed this up. I'm going to report the 10,000. You call them up and you say, you need to reissue the 1099. If they won't reissue the 1099, then what I would do is whatever you received goes on your return it's a hundred thousand. You never received it. You put a hundred thousand with a ninety thousand dollar deduction next to it with an explanation. I never received a hundred thousand. I actually received ten thousand. This was to make the numbers right.
0: And that's a great point. Don't don't ignore those ten ninety nines because you will get a notice. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, it's the easiest thing right now. They're just it's just going to pop it out. Hey, I got a ten ninety nine that Jeff's has on his uh, return that he never reported. It's really easy for them to say, oh, this doesn't match. You know, hey, and they'll just add it onto your return and send you a bill. They'll say, hey, they have the right to do your return for you. Oh, you forgot this, Jeff. Here, let me send you a bill with some interest and some penalties. All right. I've been filing my taxes on Schedule C, which just means t- uh, sole proprietor, so on your 1040. And all my business income is loan interest from private lending. So they're a hard money lender.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, my first, which used to be like this crazy thing, I always thought of hard money lenders so were kind of like sitting in the back of a bar. <sighs> break your kneecap if you didn't pay it back. But now it's more common. All right. My first year, 2020, was a net loss. So they lost some money this year, 2021, and hopefully all future years will have significant profit. If I continue to report the interest income as gross receipts or other income on Schedule C, I'm assuming I have to pay SE taxes on the profit. I'm thinking maybe I should report the interest income on Schedule B and then my expenses on Schedule C. What are your thoughts? Should I be paying SE tax on interest income?
0: So you are you are reporting it correctly, and you do not want to put... Well, I, I'm assuming that all they are doing is money lending. <clears throat> so they're holding this LLC out to be a money lender.
1: You're a trader business at that
0: point. Yeah. You don't want to put it on Schedule B because if you do that, you can't put your expenses on Schedule C. It's now uh, investment expenses, and most mm-hmm. of them won't be deductible. Uh, the other problem with that is... If I'm reporting that interest on Schedule B, I'm saying it's an investment.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: and, not. And, and if somebody burns me on a loan,
1: I have limitations. I have
0: limitations a, on how much I can deduct. You,
1: you, if you're a business, you get a whole bunch of other deductions. And so if all you're worried about is the SC tax, there's the easy fix, right? S Corp. Make it the S Corp, pay yourself a small salary. If you're going to pay yourself a small salary and it's your business and this is your income, put a 401k on it. Defer a big chunk of it. You can defer, what is it, nineteen thousand five hundred? If you're under fifty, if you're over, if you're fifty, is it fifty or over, or over fifty?
0: Over uh, somewhere in uh, there.
1: I always forget. I think it's when you're fifty or over, then you could put another six thousand five hundred. So you could put twenty six thousand of your pay directly in there. And then the business can also contribute an additional twenty five percent up to I think it's sixty one thousand this year. So you could put a lot of money aside if you want to in a retirement plan, but the point is, is that that's the only money that you would have to pay the self-employment tax on, which would now be employment taxes because it's an S corp and you're an employee, as opposed to a, a Schedule C where you're the you're the business. There's no you're you're not an employee of your own uh, partnership or your own sole proprietorship. Mm-hmm. So uh,
0: yeah, S corp was the first thing I thought of when I read this question.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of looked at it too. And it, so, and here's the thing, people get c- confused in this and accountants get confused on this. You have portfolio income, you have passive income, and then you have active ordinary income. You can turn any of those into active ordinary income if you make it into a trader business. So real estate's the prime example. Everybody's like, oh no, it's capital gains or it's passive. And it's like, no, if you're flipping a property, everything that you do is active ordinary income oh, it's rental, it's Airbnb. Now, if you're doing Airbnb and it's seven days or less, it's not rental mm-hmm. income, it's active uh, active ordinary if you're materially participating. So there's all these things. So you can make interest income, royalty income, capital gains. You can make all that into ordinary income if you're not careful. Um, and other than stock trading, that's the only one where they didn't really codify it. You act as a trader that they don't, for whatever reason, if, if you qualify as a trader, they don't make you pay self-employment tax on it. But then again, almost nobody qualifies as a trader. It's fun to watch them try, though.
0: And what's crazy about the trading is not doing it individually, but if you're investing in like a private equity fund or something like that, that does trading, Mm -hmm. that's considered trader business income usually.
1: Yep. But when you do it for your own account and you're trying and you're making the mark to market election, you're doing all this craziness, which we don't subscribe to here. Then you put your expenses on Schedule C with no income and your income on Schedule D. And you're like, yes, I just avoided self-employment tax. But you, what you just did is said to the IRS, please audit the crap out of me. It's like you couldn't wave a bigger red flag. And you always see those people just get torched. And they are you know, famous last words, but I was a trader. IRS always seems to find a way around it. Even when they make you a trader, then they find that you didn't do the mark to market. So they're like, eh.
0: Yeah. The thing I see with the trader status and mark to market is they find a number of different ways to attack you.
1: And then they just have to win on one. They might have 10 arrows they could shoot at you. And you're like, but I I, I managed to avoid nine of them. (laughs) You got a big arrow stuck in your head. All right. So, well, this is fun. I have a bunch of red dots. It looks like I have prepubescent uh, slides here. All right. Learn the infinity investing steps to build a long-term wealth. We have the infinity investing workshop coming up on Saturday. It is uh, a lot of fun if you guys wanna learn how to make money from, basically we just sit here and we look over returns of individuals that make money. We've been doing this for 20 some years. You've been doing this for how long?
0: 30 something.
1: 30
0: something, 40? No, no, Killing me, Smalls.
1: (laughs) Getting close. The fact that you even use that, that was like the 80s, so I guess you could. But anyway, come to the Infinity Investing Workshop. We work great real estate investors. And by the way, I never tell you guys who's going to be there, but uh, the speakers that I'm always there, and then uh, Nicole DeBrasio, she was season six of The Apprentice. She got to the final. She got fired. She was the last one fired by the Donald uh, on season six. Wonderful, wonderful. She and her husband are down in Winston-Salem right now working with us. We have several hundred properties down there, just doing a great job. And she always comes in and goes over real estate. And then uh, Pia Washington, who's in our offices uh, here, she oversees our uh, all of our uh, I mean, basically it's all of our investment folks, but uh, she's in charge of all the education that goes on uh, on that side and does a great job of teaching the basics of the. She calls it the Burr method for trading. Uh, I still use Stock Market Landlord. I like to make money in multiple ways on a portfolio. And it's never been more important if you don't like to watch the 700 point declines or 800 or 600, depending on what the day is. And then the market's going this way and that way. If you want to quit thinking about it, just rent it out Mm -hmm. and rent it once in a while. And then kind of just forget about it. I would say one of the best ways to make money in the market is to open up an account, fill it with good companies that you really like. Like I'm drinking a Starbucks. I've been drinking this since 7.30. I'm getting closer. I know it's kind of gross. I just sip. But good companies, you fill it full of good companies, and then you lose your password for about 10 to 20 years. And then when you come back and you finally remember, hey, I opened up this account and I filled it with some really good companies, you'll be surprised at how much it's grown. That's what I say, at least. So just know Saturday, March 5th, by all means, come. It's absolutely free. We go nine to four, and uh, you're going to learn stock market landlord and the real estate side, especially in real estate. We're laser focused on mobile manufactured shared housing this year. We're underbuilt by about three and a half million units for low to moderate income housing. So if you're under $75,000, you're being really hit hard by the increase in real estate expenses, especially folks that are renting. And so there's some there's some really unique approaches that is, that is good for guys like us to implement and people like us, uh, really hard to do for the big institutions because they always have to be so cognizant on getting that little bit of return out to their investors so there's so much stuff anyways so, it's uh it, it i think it's gonna be pretty amazing uh, what we're gonna see over the next two or three years everybody's saying hey when does the bubble burst i'm like i don't see it we're underbuilt we haven't been keeping up with the population growth we've been focusing really high on the higher end stuff we, you know we've seen just this radical growth in the cost of real estate inflation mm-hmm. Maybe <laughs> if they raise interest rates, but it's not going to be anytime soon. And they get it up there in that three percent range, which I think would take three years. Their current pace, it's never going to happen. I just don't see it. I just don't see the like. There's there's too low of inventory, too much need, and uh, we just really have a serious issue for lack of housing for a lot of our population here. So I just, I, my my personal view is is that you're going to see these areas continue to, to, to be really, really huge. And I also th- think the shared housing, I really think the shared housing is going to be something to watch, especially in the denser areas. But anyway, we, we love real estate. I'm a real estate uh, investor for years and years, uh, several hundred properties. Me and Clint love to, love to buy things. We're not really good at selling them, but we do like to accumulate. Uh, and it's uh, great to have that passive income because rental income, long-term rental income is
0: passive. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Can you elaborate on revocable versus irrevocable trust from a taxes standpoint?
0: Yeah. uh, A revocable trust is something it's almost like a disregarded entity. Mm. Uh, It's good for protecting assets, your, your estate and so forth uh, from probate, but you can change it every day if you want it. What's in, what's out. Mm -hmm. So the revocable trust is taxed as though it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So if I set up a revocable trust, say a living trust, and put all my assets in there, all the income that it's being generated through there is still going to be taxed to me personally.
1: Yeah. It's a grantor trust and they just ignore it. So if, if if you're a living trust, they always say what what kind of return do I file? You don't. As long as you're the as long as the grantor is alive, grantor passes away, becomes an irrevocable mm-hmm. trust, and then technically you have a a trust return requirement, unless you distribute all the assets, right? Even if I distribute all the assets, I'm probably just showing a zero return at 10, a ten forty one. Yes. Some cases you don't have to file one
0: at all. So when we talk about the irrevocable trust, you have actually giving, given your property away. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother had this with a with farm and I had a hard time explaining to her that you don't own the farm anymore. It's not your property anymore. Mm-hmm. It belongs to the trust and after that, the beneficiaries of that trust. Yep.
1: And just to make your head spin a little bit, so an irrevocable trust generally has a tax return, unless you make it defective for tax purposes. So it's called an IGIT. If you ever hear an ac- if an accountant goes, a napped, adapt, an IGIT, they use something that just sounds kind of funky. What they may be saying is, I drafted it for other purposes than taxes, and I made it ignored for tax purposes. It's a grantor trust for tax purposes. Wyoming statutory trust, Nevada asset protection trust, Delaware asset protection trust. A lot of these are set up as idiots, where they're not for taxes. If you're setting it up to get something out of your estate, like you're doing an irrevocable life insurance trust, you're doing a charitable remainder trust you're doing an asset protection trust that's a true spendthrift, so it's non self settled. you have somebody else managing the asset, it's no longer, you have no claim to those monies, then it could be doing its own tax return. And at that point, you kind of have two choices. If you have capital gains, you can apply it back to to principal quite often. You don't have to pay tax on it. It's actually quite kind of wild. Or I distribute it out to the beneficiaries, in which case I get to deduct that. So I may not have any taxes. So, you know, but I, I don't want to get too deep into it because it'll make you guys' head spin. All trusts, you got to look at the actual terms of that agreement and what it's set up to do. Like a land trust is just a grantor trust that's set up to hold title to a piece of property. All it is, doesn't file a tax return, nothing. A living trust is just a grantor trust set up to cover me while I'm alive and then spring into, in, into becoming irrevocable when I die.
0: Now I want to point out one important difference between revocable trust and irrevocable trust. Mm-hmm. If I have a property that I paid hundred thousand for it's now worth five hundred thousand dollars. If I put it in the, ir- in the irrevocable trust, it is a gift to that trust, mm-hmm. and that trust takes it on at my basis, which is hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars If I put it in my revocable trust and then die,
1: I get a step up. You get a step up yeah. to the
0: five hundred thousand dollars.
1: That's a big one. So it's when it transfers in and from a tax standpoint, when it transfers in. Mm-hmm. So I could still do an irrevocable, not to contradict you, but it's, yeah. but we could goof around and we could make it irrevocable, but we could still make it defective for tax purposes that we don't care. Yes. But that's where attorneys get annoying because we can make these things like you hear these slats, grats, dings, which is, you know, there's, there's domestic income non-grantor trust, I mean, you just have uh, goop or irrevocable non-grantor trust, goofy stuff out there. We always name them. What is a ten forty one tax return? It's a uh, it's a uh, return for a trust. Yes. So it's a trust tax return. So when you hear, is that complex trust? When it's doing its own taxes.
0: No, uh, compl- okay. simple yeah, trust is it. when it's required to distribute all the income mm-hmm. to the beneficiaries. Complex is, just means it's discretionary.
1: And it, it means that the trustee gets to decide whether you get anything. So mostly when you're setting up a irrevocable trust that is not defective for tax purposes, it's going to be a complex trust. And that's what the people that are playing the tax evasion game sometimes set up and they go, it's a common law trust. You don't have to pay tax out it. Yeah, you still do. All right, but they get to make that argument. Usually, when they make that argument, they're like this. But it's not taxable. All right, we can't make fun of those folks. Here we had a one in Vegas. They just got, and they were paying everybody in gold coins because it wasn't currency. It's like they're creative. We'll give them that. All right, how can I actively participate in my short-term rental while maintaining a W-2 job? Of that, uh, or. An LLC of that or LLC of that LLC. I don't know what that last part was, but I just grabbed their questions.
0: Uh, yeah, this is actually pretty simple. It is a business, so you don't have to worry about all the long-term rules. If you do at least 100 hours of activity in the rental and nobody is doing, putting in more hours than you, then you're materially participating. It's actively participate here, though. Uh, and actively participating really doesn't have any meaning in, in this. It, <laughs> it, it, it's it's a long term rental. Time. Well,
1: it, if the short term rental is seven days or less, mm-hmm. then you have yeah. two choices: you're material or you're not. Right, right. I th- yeah, that's probably what they meant. But I, active actually has another meaning for rental and for a rental. Yeah, it's one of the two exceptions to the passive activity loss rules. But you can do both, right? What what are you what are you so I interrupted you when you're going through the material participation. What are the what are the big ones? The big ones that you, you, you
0: uh, the big one is is it the 750 hours or is it the 500?
1: No, it's real estate professionals. 500 hours for 500 hours. 500 hours if you and your spouse together manage your properties. Mm-hmm. If you're involved in the day to day operations, then you could even in, add in your investment activities with those properties and with your grouping of all your properties. Like you have to make. You go to a guy like Jeff and say, make sure I group all my properties together. that's another way that accountants screw this up. But it's if I manage it myself, even if I have a W-2 job, I'm, I, yeah. I am automatically a material
0: participant. Yeah, you don't even have to meet the 100 hours. If you're yep. doing all the work yourself, you're materially material participating.
1: And if you're not doing all the work yourself, you have to hit 100 hours as long as nobody else is hitting 100 hours.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's the individual, not the organization. So if you have a property manager, you actually have to say to him, can you guys track your time? on my properties. I need to know who's doing what and how much time. And so they come up, you know, maybe they have 20 hours here, to, you know, 20 hours there. Mm-hmm. You hit a hundred hours between you and your spouse, you're materially participating. So even if you have uh, the property outside of your geographic area, it is possible to be a material participant. It's just, you better make sure you have good records.
0: Uh, one of the tests, this one's always made me a little crazy is i materially participated in five of the last 10 years.
1: Yes. Those are the ones that I try not to pay any attention to.
0: So I was a partner in a firm for five, five years, the last five years I retired. And I'm still five drawing years. money from them. And I'm still actively participating, even though I haven't shown up at th- that office.
1: You are a material participant. You are a material participant. So, yeah. So anyway, so
0: how can I actually participate
1: in a short-term rental while maintaining? Yes, you can do that. You don't have to have an LLC or anything. It's just your activities and it's you and your spouse. So, and again, this is not the same thing as real estate professional. Mm -hmm. This is just, am I a material participant on my short-term rentals? Um, And just know, by the way, I'm going back to that. If you do this and you also have other properties that are long-term and you're trying to make real estate professional status, you can't use the time that you're using on your short-term with the long-term. The way that you could is if we did throw a corporation in the mix to do the short-term rental, and we rented the property to the corporation on an annual basis, then we could. But otherwise, uh, no. And this is again not for shameless plugs, but this is why you talk to an accountant like Jeff or somebody on our staff to, to 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 see what those rules are, or if you have a good investor. Like, there's really the only thing I say about accountants is make sure they're doing what you're doing. So if you're going to work with people, make sure it's a firm that does real estate investing. Don't be the one-off or they'll make mistakes. There's too many nuances here. If I use a property management company for short-term rentals, somewhat practical due to the distance from the property, does this automatically exclude me from demonstrating material participation? Or are there other test activities that could demonstrate material participation beyond a property management company assistant?
0: Yeah, that's kind of what we were just talking about if you're a distance away from your rentals and you have a property manager, I think it becomes harder and harder to meet those tests.
1: So you still have the same tests. The three that we focus on, you manage all your properties and nobody else does. It does I think the term is substantial services so, so here, if you have another property manager, you throw that one out. I do a hundred hours and nobody does more time. There's actually a court case where an individual and his spouse owned property in another state and they would drive to the short-term rentals and they would say they're working on it or this, that, or the other. And the court did not believe the numbers they were throwing out there. And they said there was no record keeping by the manager of their time. And therefore we don't believe you and we don't have any data from the property manager. So voila, you don't meet the material participation because we didn't fa- find you credible because they were doing stupid stuff. You could still do it, but you have to ask your property manager to please track their time. Whoever's working on the property, please track your time. And if it ends up being five hours a month or whatnot, as long as you hit 100 hours, you're okay. How do you hit 100 hours? It has to be in the active management of those companies, unless you're involved in the day-to-day operation of that thing, which would you'd have to be working hand-in-hand with that property manager on those numbers. Otherwise, it's only when you're active, actively managing really tough to do. Last way is the 500 hours, in which case if you're doing 500 hours and you have other short-term rentals and you can, and again, your short-term rentals are not your other rentals. Short-term is just your hotel. Your hotel hours would have to equal 500 hours. So you'd have to have a bunch of other properties that are short-term and you'd have to be treating them all as short-term. You cannot do this and add that in with your other real estate. If you don't think you're gonna make it, Then what you do is you again you find a you set up a corp Mm -hmm. s corp c corp llc tax as an s corp or c corp and you rent the property to them and let them be the host that then employs the manager and now we've made it passive again and you could wrap it all up with your other properties to meet material participation and you're probably at that point going for real estate professional one of the spouses qualifies under the first prong of uh 469 c7 which is 750 hours, more than 50%.
0: Yeah. And my personal feelings that I'm qualifying as a real estate professional for my long-term properties, I'm not doing any short-term rental on my name.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't want to do short-term rental my name. I've seen too many bad problems. Uh, you've had deaths. You've had people fall off of things. You've had parties. A lot of people here in Vegas, for example, these houses were party houses I don't even know how many issues there were, but there were shootings and all sorts of stuff in California. You have all sorts of liabilities that come along with short-term rentals. For the most part, they're pretty benign. You're know, you up in the wine country. You don't really care. Mm -hmm. Everybody's pretty mellow, but every now and again, you have somebody that does something dumb and uh, you don't want to have that come into your personal realm. And uh, from a tax standpoint, you just want to realize that there's a big difference between seven days or less and everything else. 30 days or less, if you're doing way more for those people, you're still, a, you could be an average tenant, like an average guest stays for three weeks. And if you're driving them around and doing tours or anything else, there's a good chance that you're no longer a rental. That's actually mm-hmm. active.
0: What do they call that? Extraordinary services?
1: Substantial services okay. or no. Yeah, you're right. Extraordinary is the over 30 hours. Oh, oh, okay. And then the other one is, oh gosh, I forget the term. So there's, it might be substantial services. I always forget.
0: So if you're running a drug rehab for celebrities,
1: drug rehab for celebrities is never going to be rental. Fat farms never going to be rentals. Uh, all these uh, where you go out into the wilderness and stuff, and you're out on somebody's property, and you're 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 learning to overcome your fears. No, Outward Bound and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Those are not going to be rentals. That is just incidental to the other actors. Like you get a get your cabin because it's incidental to something else. All right, let's keep going. Lots of ways to get more information on these and other topics. Go to our YouTube channel again, Uh, but we also put our uh, podcast, we bring a lot of our stuff, uh, a lot of the content that Anderson does put into a podcast format, including Tax Tuesdays. We break them into bite-sized pieces. I think right now we're just doing two pieces. We used to do these for an hour and a half and two hours every time. And a lot of you all said, stop that. You're killing us. You're killing us. But, uh, but you just go to the podcast and absolutely, absolutely free. And if you're a uh, Platinum member, you can always go back and look at it. All right. My husband receives guaranteed payments shown as a K-1 as a limited, limited domestic partner of an LLC. His tax is a sole proprietor. To lower taxes, can he create an S-Corp for his guaranteed payments and still be a limited domestic partner?
0: Uh, short answer is no, he can't do that. Uh, the guaranteed, pay- guaranteed payments of the limited partners are usually paid when they're doing work and it's their share of revenue or something like that. Like I went out and sold something for my company. And- so this is
1: what's weird. It says an LLC, and then it says he's a limited domestic partner and he's getting a guaranteed payment. I would say first off that he's not a limited partner because he's materially participating. And he's getting guaranteed payments unless he's not doing anything for the guaranteed payments, in which case I would say they're misclassifying it. It's actually a preferred return. But let's assume that they're doing it right mm-hmm. and they're paying him for stuff he's doing. You could actually make that into an escort, his interest, and avoid the self-employment tax on it because a guaranteed yeah. payment is generally active, ordinary income.
0: Right. They would have to contribute his entire interest in the LLC to the S corporation. Correct. And the LLC would have to be okay with that.
1: Yeah. So it says, can he create an escort for his guaranteed payments and still be a limited domestic partner? So the answer that Jeff said is correct, which is no- but what you can do is put your entire interest into the S-Corp and the S-Corp's now just getting paid as a, as a guaranteed payment to partner. The mm-hmm. S-Corp has to be a partner in this yes, and they have to agree to it under almost all operating agreements. You can't just willy nilly transfer. You'd go to them and say, Hey, wait a second. You're, you're killing me with this guaranteed payment. I'm getting hammered with uh, self-employment tax. Can we put it and change our, our, our interest over to an S-Corp? And the, the, before you say, oh my gosh, but then I lose out on capital gains and all this other fun stuff, S-Corp doesn't change any of the nature of the income. It just says, if I have active income and I take distributions, I have to take a reasonable salary. And only that little reasonable salary is subject to self-employment taxes.
0: So one of the things I thought about was if these guarantee payments are for services performed or uh, sales commission, whatever, could he have the S-Corporation? 10.99 for that, and still keep, still well, be a partner.
1: All right. So if it's a guaranteed payment that's lowering the profitability, I believe he would have to be. Uh, it would have. And, and he, that, he'd have to own it.
0: And that's what I'm saying. That it's, mm-hmm. we're no longer calling it a guaranteed payment. We're calling if it, was it a payment something for I, services. Yes, yeah, if
1: it was payment for services, then I think he could. Yeah, you could say, hey, pay whatever. I'm acting like. Let's say that I was a uh, plumber, mm-hmm. and I had my S corp, and I came in and I said, Toby's Plumbing, they could pay me for my plumbing. What they can't do is say, guaranteed payment to partner, and I'm going to pay it to your plumbing business when it's not a partner. Correct. 100%. So.
0: 100%.
1: All right. I know we're getting a little late. We're getting close to that four o'clock time. We hear residential home exemption is 250 for single. If I buy three houses this year, so boy, this is going to be fun. So I'm just going to map this out because I know it's going to get crazy. So year one, actually, I'll do it this way. Let's say one and you buy three properties. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: All right. Stay in the first house two years. So I'll go one, two, three, do it this way. And this one is two years. So we're now at year three, right? We've had it, oh wait, one, two, so this is two. Make sure I'm doing this
0: right. So we buy at the beginning of year one.
1: So we buy three houses at the beginning of year (coughs) one. We live in one, two years. And then we live in the third house for two years. So now we're at four years. And then we live in the third house for two years. So then we have four, and then we do two years down here. So technically we'd be at year six. Yep. Okay. On year five, after buying the second house, sell second house and take the exception. Where do they get the first house? On the fifth year after buying first house, sell it. Okay, so so we're here and we sell it on year five. We sell house number two. So sell house, excuse me, that's not two, that's number one. So we sell house number one in year five. So let's just address that one first off. You lived in it two of the last five years. So two of the last five years, you get a homestead exclusion of $250,000. So you would get that $250,000 deduction if you sold it by the end of that fifth year.
0: So here's my question. Do I need to wait till that fifth year?
1: No, you could sell it at any time.
0: Once I've done my two years, I can sell that property, right?
1: Yep. I'm making this a big mess. I should do this differently. So let's just do house one. Two years sold year five equals 250K
0: exemption.
1: All right. Second house. Uh, let's see. After buying on the fifth year, fifth year, on the fifth year after buying second house, sell second house. So. This is house number two. You lived in it in year three through four. So you lived in it two years. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Sold year five equals no. Why do I say no? Because you can only use your exemption every two years. It doesn't matter about the properties, it manages how often you can take it. So if I had lived in property one for two years and sold it, I could have had the 250. Then I lived in property two for Three th- year three and four, and then I sold it. I would get the two fifty on both. And then same thing with with the year with third property. I lived in it just year five and sold equals no because I didn't meet the I didn't meet the two out of three years test.
0: And, and that's kind of what I was getting at is that don't wait to year five. As soon as you're done living in it, mm-hmm. you met the two years. Sell it, and then the clock starts running for the next house.
1: Yep. So the trick is live in a house, two years, sell it buy another, you know, or let's say that I bought three houses, but I did, I staggered them a year. It's much easier that way. Then the first house I lived in two years, I could sell it, take my exception exemption, or I could wait three years and take it whenever I sell it. The second house, let's say I bought it in year two and lived in it for years. First year the question is what did I do with it? Did I just leave it as a secondary residence or did I rent it? Because if I rented it, I'm going to have a period of disqualified use on that growth, which, which gets confusing. I don't want to warp your mind, but let's just assume you bought it. You just kept it as a second place. You're fixing it up. Once it was all good and, and honky dory, then I moved in and I lived in that for two years. I could sell that within three years after that point, and I would be entitled to the exclusion, but I can only take the exclusion every two years. So I'd have to look and say, did I take the exclusion at any time prior to that period of time that would throw up, throw off my two years. If I did, I wouldn't be entitled to it. So I'd be like, Oh, nuts. So I would be better off selling that one right away and hanging on to, to property uh, moving back into property one or keeping property one Mm -hmm. or better yet, just having sold property one after the second year. And then third year we're really in a, in a no win situation under these circumstances. There's just no way to make it work because it's every two years so i bought three properties the most i'd be able to do in a 5 year stretch is two of them every 2 years every 2 years otherwise if i bought property 3 let's say we bought property 3 in year 2 or 3 mm-hmm. we could hold on to it potentially for 5 years and we could make it work if we sold property 1 after 2 years property 2 after 2 years then we could sell property 3 6 years from the first date of property 1 but but it would be five years from the first date that we bought property three. If you follow that, you get a star.
0: So you'd you'd have to sell a property after year two, after year four, and after year six to make this work.
1: Yeah. And then you have a period of time to do it. I don't want to like say, hey, you know, don't consider this type of thing. I just, most of the time, what you're really doing is you're saying, oh shoot, I'm going to lose my 250 exemption. And if you want to keep the house and still get your 250 exemption, sell it to a closely held escort under an installment sale, opt out of the installment sale, take the full 250 exemption, do it on an installment sale, put it into a rental. Now you're not forced to sell it to any third parties. You could just keep the property at that point. And then you 1031 it if you're ever going to do that. But
0: and, and you brought up a really good point. One of the things I thought about is I buy three houses today. What am I doing with the other two?
1: Mm-hmm. If I'm renting them out and I lived at them first, no issue. If I rent them out and then move into it issue,
0: because mm-hmm.
1: you have disqualified use. So- the IRS has little jabs for you. So if you're like 1031 in a property and you 1031 into a, uh, for a, uh, if you do the a combo, I had a residential property that I lived in and I want to, but it's had so much gain that I want to protect that gain and I'm going to reinvest it into another property. And then I decide to move into that property. The property I move into, chances are there's going to be a period of disqualified use mm-hmm. because of an investment property. It doesn't mean you're Toast. It just means you're going to lose a portion of the two hundred and fifty. So let's say you there's one year of non-qualified use out of the you know, and and you had it for five years. Twenty percent is non-qualified, which means you'd lose twenty percent of the exemption. So it'd be a two hundred thousand dollar exemption in your case. If the property made a hundred thousand, you'd still avoid a hundred percent of the capital gains, but it's limited to that portion.
0: Yeah, the other place. Uh, We see being a problem is if you're depreciating that property. uh, When you recapture that depreciation upon sale, that 250 doesn't offset that. That's a
1: really good point. the 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 exemption that Jeff is talking about is capital gains. It's not recapture. So if you had a property that you're using that you rented for a period of time, you just have to be careful because you're probably going to like even if you have a huge exemption hey, I only made 100000 and I have a $200,000 exemption in the case I was just giving you, there's still recapture. That would be at zero to 25%. Talk to an accountant. See, gets complicated, but it's not rocket science. It's just mapping things out with a pencil. Um, used to have a joke that the only three things you have to know in accounting are calculate, calculate, calculate. Just get your pencil out. All right. My company is based in the U.S., We have a customer from Thailand. My suppliers are from Honduras. I have an American account. I would like to know how to pay my supplier. Do I withhold taxes? These are not residents or citizens of the United States.
0: I am not an international expert, but I'm pretty sure that for the sale of goods from a foreign country, there is no withholding.
1: So you're absolutely 100% correct. When U.S. (coughs) residents... Uh, let's say that they're going to give money to an individual or an organization because the the way that the U.S. works is an individual could be a corp or a partnership, foreign partnership. And they make money. They want to make sure they get paid their tax. And they do it on, what is it? FDAP. Oh, yeah. Remember what all that is? Fixed or determinable.
0: Fixed or determinable, annual or periodical.
1: Periodical, yep. So FDAP. It just means that if I am paying consistently to somebody who's out of the country I got to make sure I'm doing a withholding and depending on whether there's a treaty some treaties make it zero otherwise it's 30%. You've had to deal with this if you've ever sold or bought a property from somebody who is foreign. Mm-hmm. If you remember when you went to your closing they had to sign something saying that they were either exempt or that you know or they would talk about having to do the withholding and then they would file their taxes and they would and they would either give it as a credit towards their taxes or they would get it back. But if you're buying, uh, but it's services that are performed in the United States, number one. So it's always derived from the United States. So in your case, your supplier from Honduras, I don't think it would be considered derived from the United States because they're sending stuff in from Honduras. If you were paying them and they were doing something in the United States, like you're you're paying the Honduras company and they were doing work for you in the United States on your factory, that would be different. Then it would be derived from the United States and you'd have the withholding. But I think you're 100% correct.
0: Yeah, there's, there's two terms you're going to know. One's the FDAP and the other one's uh, ECI, effectively connected income, Effect- which you were just talking about.
1: And effectively connected means you, you're going to also get a little bit lower rate, right? Yes. If I'm effectively connected, that's that's like if you're doing real estate and you're a foreigner and you're doing real estate in the United States and you have a partnership or whatever and you're, you're doing things consistently in the US and you have effectively connected, then I think you could avoid a huge withholding or mm-hmm. at least it gets lowered. I always forget that one. We deal with it with rentals that are held by folks that are outside the United States. All right. Uh, I'm looking to learn about the small landlord exemption, which allows small landlords to deduct real estate losses from their W-2 income. I'm trying to figure out if I qualify for that.
0: I've heard people use this term before. It's not an actual term. Uh, It is called the active active participation test, Yeah, which means... If you make less than one hundred fifty thousand dollars modified AGI, I believe, Mm -hmm. then you may be able to take some part of your losses, real estate losses.
1: The easiest way to think about this is if you have passive losses, you can't use them against anything other than passive income. So a passive loss is really easy to generate in real estate because you can Mm -hmm. depreciate the real estate. So maybe I do a cost seg on a property and create the two hundred thousand dollar loss. It doesn't mean I lost two hundred thousand dollars. It means hey, I got rents. I get to write off a big chunk of whatever I purchased, and maybe I financed it, and I can create this big loss. Ordinarily, I can't use that. Let's say it's a $200,000 loss. I can't use it against my other income, only against passive. But there's two exceptions. And the two exceptions, Jeff just named one, active. And active participation is for folks that are making $100,000 or less. It phases out between $100,000 and $150,000. At, I think it's $1 for every $2 over. Yep. So it's gone at $150, but it's $25,000. So let's say that I buy real estate and I have a loss of $10,000 and I make $100,000. I could use that $10,000 loss against my $100,000 if I manage the manager. That's all it is. Active participation in real estate, just means hey, you're ultimately the decision maker. You don't have to spend hours or anything. Mm-hmm. As long as I hired the manager and I get to control them, that's it. I'm an active participant. But if I make over hundred fifty thousand dollars of, of adjusted gross income, it's gone. Yeah, yeah. Then I only have the other choice, which is real estate professional. So you'll see in our offices, we're always talking about real estate professional because that's the big that's the big one. It, you could be making a million bucks a year, and I could offset hundred percent of it. If I'm a real estate professional or somebody qualifies and I buy enough real estate. So accountants that do real estate, we always joke. If you, if you don't want to pay taxes, buy more real estate, right? Get, get more actively involved. If you're paying taxes, you don't want to buy more real estate, get more involved. We can eliminate it all. That's how our former president. Trump wrote off $90 million, right? Mm-hmm. Carried it back and he got beat up in the press for it. And I'm like, Hey, he didn't write the, you didn't write the code that said you could carry it back. Why are you mad at him? It's like uh, all these guys, you're always like, you write these incentives and then you can't be mad at somebody who takes advantage of it. It's there for a reason, which is to grow our economy and continue to incentivize people to put their monies into these big projects. So this is one of them for the little guys. And that's how you qualify. It's uh, if, if you need more clarity on that, or you want to see whether it applies to your specific situation, by all means, shoot it in an email and we'll make sure we get it. Somebody says, even if that $100,000 AGI is partially from RMDs. There's no there's no exclusion. No. Yeah. It'll it offset ordinary income. So, what it does is it makes the loss non passive and you can use it against any income. All right. Hey, if you have questions, Tax Tuesday to Anderson Advisors. Visit us at AndersonAdvisors.com. I got to say that uh, our team here, so let's see, I'm looking at 178 questions uh, answered. Dana, Christos, Dutch, Ian, Pio. I, I think they just don't want to work. Elliot.
0: They're tired of
1: doing they're, they're tired. Like, this is their break. This is literally like they're probably eating cookies and saying, This is so nice. I get to answer questions instead of looking at bar grass. So, Pio, Ian, Dutch, Elliot, Dana, Christos. Troy was on earlier. Matthew, Ander, and Patty. We're knocking it out of the park. Again, these guys don't get. Uh, well, nobody's billing you for this, uh, you know. Just make sure you re- reach out and say thanks if somebody's answering a bunch of questions. They they work their katushas off, and they're not required to do this. They they do they do it. Let, do you force them to? Yeah. You no, know? yeah. People will just say, hey, if you want to jump on and answer questions, and these guys are awesome. They do. It's it's one of the ways that we we learn too. Is Jeff and I we're always looking at these things, trying to figure out the right answers, and like, oh my goodness, and it, it's a good teaching experience for us that too. Is. So it's great. So appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, we will see you again in two weeks. If you have questions, by all means, Tax Tuesday to Anderson Advisors. If nothing else, but we will see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast, and if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.